All right, I was going to go with the usual, hey there, Freedom Fighters, but I got to start off with saying this, Alex, dude, you did it. You sold your company. <laughs> it happened. Yep, it happened. That's for sure. <laughs> you, you launched an agency. You created software. That First of all, launching an agency, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's not as hard as other things, but you did it. You started a business. Going from agency to software, hard. Going from software to successful software company, way harder. And then to get to the finish line and sell, not just to sell to some schmo, but to sell to Adobe. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been a wild ride, put it that way. It's been like a crazy 10-year, the typical 10-year overnight success stuff, right? But it has been a crazy, crazy ride. So, yeah. yeah. And I see the start. smile on your face. <laughs> like, you appreciate it, right? You're not one of these guys going, this is just the thing that happens, right? Oh no! I don't, absolutely not. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's so well, it's surreal in many ways. Oh, it, you know, it happened about six months ago now. So I've kind of come out of the crazy phase, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Once you go through this process, but like, yeah, it's it's an it was an incredible experience to go through. Firstly, but also, you know, it's, it impacts your life in so many different ways. At the end of the day, so I am. I want to know why. We got to get specific about it. Don't don't hold back on me. No false modesty. No life is not changed. Tell me how it impacts your life in so many ways. I should introduce you properly. Alex, who I just mentioned, is Alex Packham. He is the founder of Content Cal. They allow you to create, collaborate, and publish social media content. It feels like you know what? Them too. I'm with you, dude. If you're out there saying there are other there's other software that does this, maybe not the same way. Maybe you could say not as good, but they they do. I'm with you. So how how did he do it? Why him? How did he get this to be so successful? How did he get to the finish line? We're going to find out here thanks to two phenomenal sponsors. The first, if you're hiring developers to build your amazing business, go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. And if you're doing email marketing, start off right with sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. I'll talk about those later. But first, Alex, tell me one way, one amazing way that life has changed for the positive after the sale. Uh, do you know what? It's the kind of freedom sense, which sounds crazy, but like you find most entrepreneurs start out, it's not really for the money at the end of the day in any way, shape or form. You're trying to solve a problem, being an entrepreneur and going through the business phase and stuff like that and scaling, etc. It does have way more freedoms than a lot of people realize, even when you raise VC and stuff like that. But I think once you're at the other side, it's like, it's like completing a video game. That's one of the best ways I've been describing it to people. You know, you kind of go through all the levels, there's challenges associated to it. Um, but once you get there, it does feel like that kind of ultimate sense of true freedom. Um, so I'd say, what do you mean, freedom like to do what? Freedom yeah. mentally from what? Were you the type of person like me who's always thinking disaster is going to happen? I'm going to be out on the street, and then you need some external thing, some documentation, some bank documentation to say it's not happening soon. Exactly. Some like rainy day fund, even though, you know, if you're in a good role and stuff like that, and you know, hopefully for most people that's the case and all the rest, but like, you know, just some kind of weird buzzing rainy day thing in the back of your mind like you say that the world's going to end and you've got to go and do x y and z but it's like yeah it's very hard to articulate but it is mental freedom and it is you know there is financial freedom attached to it to a certain extent as well you can kind of do what you want um which is just a, a really nice and lovely place to be and i'm very appreciative of it but like it's also just the the experience like i said i've been through the whole doing a business from zero to one going from one to 100 and then actually kind of like building that company up properly and then actually selling it to, like you said, a, a business which is, is phenomenal as Adobe is just a, an amazing experience to go through. So I'm really appreciative, even though it was absolutely grueling <laughs> at times to go have through. You the bought, have you bought anything? Have you done anything fun yet? I've been on a lot of vacations and treated some family to some great holidays and stuff like that. So I haven't bought anything like what? Give yet. me an example of one. 
Oh, I did a week in Ibiza in a big villa, which was a lot of fun. I actually nice. just got back from uh, LA and, and Vegas with some friends, which was also very fun, as you can imagine. Um, but yeah, been mostly spending spending the cash on some good holidays and getting some downtime. <laughs> You're not going to tell us how much you sold for. I, I, I'm I glad that Adobe's letting you do this interview with me, but they're not going to tell me how much you sold for. I will just say this. <laughs> Bloomberg estimated that it was for $100 million. You're not going to confirm or deny it, right? Afraid not. Yeah. No. Nope. Can't say on that one. <laughs> but you did raise. You did raise a little bit of money. How much did you raise? Yeah, we raised uh, about thirteen million dollars, ten million pounds, um, mostly out of the UK as well. Almost, almost all out of the UK. Um, of which it was actually half of that. Well, just under half of that was from different angel investors. Again, UK based, and then two VC funds over in the UK. One called Fuel Ventures, and one called Guinness Asset Management. Um, okay. So yeah, we we raised yeah yeah thirteen million dollars give or take along the way. <clears throat> okay, the whole thing started out twenty fourteen. You decide you're going to create some kind of agency. What type of agency did you set out to create? Uh, so originally set out to create a social media and content marketing agency. Um, I worked at two large corporates here in the UK before that, mostly managing social accounts, managing social media presences, etc., mm. etc. Et and like every business, whether you're a massive company, whether you're a small business, like creating the volume of content that you have to create now is really challenging. And with these internal teams we work with in different agencies, you could see that there was just something missing in terms of like, well, particularly in the UK market, someone who could really tap into like that true, what I would call social media experience, where they've been on the ground, they've written content, they've also worked in the big business, et cetera. And I'd worked for lots of small businesses along the way as well. So like version one of my business life was set up an agency you know there's no real overhead to set that up it's a website yeah. view, realistically and a laptop yeah. and so it's nice and low cost and then spend a few years learning the ropes of running your own business and um yeah we built 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 the agency up to about 20 20 30 people wow. at one point a um, couple of million How of much? revenue nice and profitable business uh 20 to 30 people uh 30 was our peak i think at one point but easily 20 and then okay how did you get customers? Well, my first two customers were the two corporates I worked at before. So I had a really good... This is Odeon, the the movie business, the cinema. You got it. And then uh, B Sky B that you used to work for. You went back to them and you said, look, I did social media for you before. You could still have me now, but it's my agency that's going to be doing this work. Do you want to hire us? That's it. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. I mean, it was, yeah, exactly. It was okay. Very open dialogues. And then I'd worked with a lot of small businesses before, so we had a couple of those come on the come, come on as well. And then I hired a guy called Noel who was fantastic at just like sales and networking and things like that. And he really helped jump up like new business consistently. And in London at the time, the scene was quite small, so we became quite well known quite quickly just for doing really good social media content or campaigns. So it was quite worth it. Yeah. How did Noel get you uh, clients? What was Noel's approach? Do you know what? Very, very standard stuff, right? Relationships, um, family, friends, referrals, uh, networking, not really going to networking events, but just meeting meeting people, like going out and meeting as many people as okay. you could. And then the typical like outbound, find the list, send the emails, book the meetings. You know, there's no like wild stuff in there. Uh, we did some, we did a lot of PR. Like again, this was a, you know, over 10 years ago now, but like we managed to PR ourselves very, very strongly off the back of Sky and Odeon being really big names that suddenly we became like one of the kind of hot agencies to work with for this particular mm. service. So yeah, we were very, very lucky. And then this like kind of segues into Content Cal because we'd built our own software, eventually we became known as an agency that also had this kind of 
piece of kit basically that you could use as well so it became our edge for a little bit basically as the agency let's pause for a moment before we get into into that mm. i want to understand a little bit more of the agency business give me a few examples of the things that you did that were so impressive that customers would refer you to others or talk about you mm. Well, we would grow audiences quite quickly and consistently. So we weren't like an influencer marketing agency or um, running huge, huge like paid advertising campaigns. What, what we really focused on was like truly understanding the business dynamics of what the company wanted to achieve. That could be brand awareness, that could be growing their following, obviously then trying to result in lead generation or um, well, obviously but paid customers if it's an e-commerce business and stuff like that. So we spent a lot of time actually understanding what the, what the company actually wanted to achieve. And then we would build a strategy which would focus on overarching big goals. So that could be I want to have a social following of this. I want to try and drive this much organic traffic to our website from social. And then I want to amplify it with paid for these particular goals. And so we would just laser focus on creating campaigns that actually only ever were measured by business outcomes. And these were in the early days of social where like people were creating followings just to have the vanity metric of I've got, you know, 100,000 followers or whatever it might be. And we were one of the first, I guess, agencies to really say, well, forget all of that, because that actually doesn't really matter that much. Like if we can actually impact the underlying like fundamentals of your business using social media, you know, we can actually actually have a positive impact on what you're trying to achieve. So it was really getting to the crux of like, we're not the fluffy creative type agency, which you need because you need great creative to make all these things happen. We're not branding agency. I was like, we are social media like experts. We're complete digital natives. All of our team had grown up in the social media phase, if you like. So they're all millennials, which are now old, <laughs> like me. <laughs> but like, you know, there's Gen Z and probably whatever the next generation coming up. But like, we were very much of that first group that really experienced social media and really knew how to use it and figured out how to like make it work for business. So I guess we became semi-famous, again, very focused in the UK and London for that kind of service. Okay. And so then you started to create your own tools and that's what became the software that you sold to customers. What's a tool that you couldn't find that you decided you were going to create for yourselves? I mean, that was Content Cal fundamentally, the tool that we created for ourselves. But I, I mean, the original thing was a few tools that you uh. built in-house. My guess is my understanding is that it was one or two that you started off with and you just kept building out the oh, things that you needed. Yeah. yeah, okay. So we, man, we tinkered with loads of stuff. I mean, one of the ones that worked really well before Content Cal, like different tools we built. So we built a very simple like landing page population product. So when a client didn't want like a WordPress full website or, you know, a different product, but like another full website experience, just wanted a real quick brand. I want to capture leads for this use case or whatever it might be. We had almost like a like a tick box exercise and it would literally create it in the background within 20 minutes, you know, and therefore, again, clients loved it because they weren't being charged X to go and build like this full experience. We were like, we can pop that up in a day, basically. Um, so we built like a product that does that. We built a lot of automation around creativity. Um, so when clients had big teams, big national teams um, that would be head office and maybe they were on site, like one of our clients was a gym chain, they wanted to get content from all of these local gyms and, and cinemas in Odeon's case and others. So we built a product which was themed around contributions. So anyone in the business could submit from their mobile phone um, and a content idea, a photo from the gym again, or whatever it might be, or like a selfie, and it would come through to like head office or to our team and then we would amplify that on behalf of the brand. Yeah, so we actually built that in Content Cal later properly as well. But like, 
loads of ways to like automate these really tricky things, um, but make it really easy. That makes total sense, especially the part about getting some content from the people who work at your clients' companies so that it's it's not just from you or from the top people who hired you. All right, so you're building this. At what point do you say, you know what? This could actually be a thing, standalone business. What made you say that? Well, alongside all of these little ideas, Content Cal or the the, the theme of a calendar-based social media product was really the centerpiece because... Most social media managers still now, let alone 10 years ago, create their content calendar. So their calendar of their weekly posts or monthly posts or whatever, maybe or the themes, what they want to talk about. They create it in Excel or Google Sheets or some version of that and um, do it very, very manually. And I knew this even from when I was working in those big corporates when I was actually writing content myself. Like I would create huge spreadsheets. I would then go through this massive approval flow manually over email, in meetings, just chatting to people by the coffee machine or whatever and be like, I want to get this campaign approved. And it was hugely elongated. And then we brought an agency in. Then there was another third party, blah, blah, blah. So it was really complicated. And what I'd realized from these big brands, as well as working with these agencies, oh, sorry, working with SMEs as part of the agency, was that whether you're a huge organization or you're a 10-person or two-person company, the actual process of creating content is the same. You need ideas, you need a calendar, you might have an approval flow, you need to be able to visualize it, and then you want to automate it as much as possible. Like They all want to do the same things, just some people have really big processes and some people have very, very small ones. And... Once we'd built the prototype of Content Cal and once we'd shown all the clients who all signed up to use it and then like bought it as an add-on to the agency piece, I was like, okay, this is not a, it's not the typical SaaS journey or software journey you would do now where you build it totally standalone. Like we were generating revenue on this software product from day one um, as additional like line items or additional costs within the agency model. Then we thought, okay, can we sell this standalone? Let's let's try. Let's like go out and test this. So then we started to go out and actually sell it to people who had nothing to do with our agency. Set up a, again a basic website, new brand, Content Cal, because the agency was called something else, and raised a little bit of money and then went out and kind of just built like the basic sales pipeline and stuff like that, which was as much product dev, you know, development, getting feedback, iterating, and then eventually through that cycle, you know, hundreds of times, we built this product that people standalone were really willing to pay for. And then it's a typical journey, like, you know, we got five people to sign up in a month, then we got 10, then we got 30, then we got 100. And it was like, okay, this is really starting to take off. Before you continue, the first people who you went to and you said, would you buy this without the agency? We've just created it. Who who were they? How'd you find them? Mostly originally my network, because again, in the social media space in, in London or the UK, I'd become relatively well-known, not well-known, but the social media management group, I'd attend all the meetups, all the online chats and the forums and stuff. So I'd go out and say, hey, you know, can I show you this more than anything else? I'd never try and sell it. I'd always just say, can I show you? Love to get your feedback. And I got, you know, reasonable traction through doing that. And then a lovely guy called Andy joined the business um, who I met through one of our angel investors. And he had a background in software sales. And he looked at me and was like, Alex, you are not a salesperson, <laughs> like because I'm not. He's like, you've got no idea what you're doing. He's like, you're doing stuff really organically, which is working, but let me go out and actually build up this pipeline. And so he took my network and then he almost systemized it back into like, okay, we've got a hundred people here. Let's go out to the secondary like connections of LinkedIn for them and go out and find out who else we could go to 
let's sponsor let's sponsor this event and see if we can get some lead you know he did all you know typical stuff but this was all new to me because i was very product and social media orientated and just like attacked you know <laughs> i literally just had tons and tons and tons of meetings gathered god knows how many requirements and bits of feedback but really like i said started to sell um and it was a phenomenal experience. It was very much the whole do what doesn't scale, you know, to make it work kind of thing. And it really did. Um, but we were just so, it was like operating at a thousand miles an hour, you know, we're doing this all day, all night kind of thing for a couple of years. So was it agencies that you went after right from the beginning? We went after both agencies and like businesses directly. Um, and we actually thought we'd have more traction with businesses. But in the early days, we had more tractions with with, with agencies, which looking back, makes perfect sense because we, we built it for ourselves as an agency so like we had a hunch that businesses would want to buy it directly and eventually over time as we added more features they did but we realized like the calendar experience the approval flows and basically the features and the way it worked really suited agencies managing like tw- 10 to hundreds of clients basically which was really interesting at the time it feels like going after agencies makes a lot of sense instead of individuals because they could add it as a line item to their clients they have clear needs. They're buying once, but really buying multiple times. Am I right about that? Totally. Yeah, you're 100% right. And in addition, we were getting exposure to these clients without ever having to sell them. So like if an agency had 50, client, 50 clients and two or three of them were like Amazon or whoever, suddenly Content Cow was being used in these huge businesses. So like it was a great fun experience watching like, you know, the signups come through and we'd see some of these huge brands come in and we'd never even spoken to them. And then suddenly, you know, you start getting into the networks of those businesses as well. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun kind of figuring that out as we went as well. Business would continue to use you even beyond the agency? Yeah, nearly every time. Yeah, exactly. And then when you get the flywheel working, you know, you're, you're signing up agencies, which means you're signing up brands. And then you start signing up brands directly as well. It becomes this like self-fulfilling prophecy and you become, because of the way the product works, it's so integrated like, into the process of how these businesses build their social presences. It's very, very hard to want to change. And, um, you know, therefore you get low churn and stuff like that. So we, we really started to flywheel quite mm-hmm. quickly because we were keeping most of our customers and then obviously adding more and more as we went. And then we had this network effect of the agencies on top. So it really started to feed quite nicely. Before we continue, I should say, if you're hiring developers, go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. Great developers, reasonably priced. And if you use my URL, it'll be even more reasonably priced. Lemon.io slash Mixergy for details. Um, How did you charge for that? If an agency was paying, how do you also get more revenue from each extra person at the company that hired them? We would typically charge by, we had like a two-pronged approach, by number of users as, as standard, but they were very, very low cost. We, we decided that users would be something we needed to charge for, but we'd make it really low, low price. I mean, I think it was literally like five or six bucks a user, so it was, was not expensive. And then we'd sell them in bulk and stuff like that as well. And then we'd also charge by what's called calendar in our experience, which you can think of like a workspace if you're using like a sauna or something else, like a different environment. So if you had like 20 clients, you'd have 20 calendars and then you'd have within each calendar five to you know hundreds of users. 
And so you had this two-pronged pricing approach, um, which worked really well. Again, we, we, we constantly went around the houses, like, how do we price this product? And sometimes we thought this was not the right way to do it, et cetera. But when you look back, we had a lovely, like, two-pronged approach, which worked really well. And it was, you know, we were always built on making a great product affordable. So we were never trying to be enterprise. We were always trying to serve that, like, mid, mid-market, SME market. But if an agency paid... And then their people, the people at their clients' company started adding more features. Were you billing both people separately and you would manage that? No. So if an agency came on board, the agency would handle all of the billing. And then however they dealt with the clients was ah. up to them. We would never like, you know, loads onto that. They would have to like add, basically add accounts for those clients as well. So they would have to almost absorb the cost and then figure out how they charged it. Got on. it. Um, and we were dealing directly with brands, then we would do deals directly as well. Got it. So it was the agency that was just paying every time somebody else came on, even if they weren't directly related to them. And for you, it wasn't you weren't charging, you weren't billing. The agents you were the agency was paying, and then they had to just keep billing their client for it. Interesting, interesting model. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. And some agencies t- like just absorbed it as like a cost of doing business, basically, because the client loved the product and it made their life that much easier. Yep. That, you know, they could redeploy the time elsewhere. And some build it on, you know, it was up to them, really. We, we weren't really, it was, to us, it made no difference. You know, we were, we were charging X, Y, and Z for this and whatever else you do is up to I you. I work basically. with consultants who do that, who say, Andrew, in order to do my job really well, I need this software. I go, okay, great, fine. They either, they either sign up and then I pay for it or I pay for it myself and then they use it. But regardless, it's now embedded in the relationship. I see. I've also seen some companies turn it into a white label product where the agency then gets to present it as it's their own software and then they let the client go in and add as many seats as they want and now they've got SaaS revenue sort of coming in from from a customer but you didn't do that right from what I can see going through the internet archives no totally we did one white label deal five or six years ago and just decided off the back of that one that we weren't going to do one again and it wasn't because it wasn't a good opportunity like actually the deal worked really well and the way it was set up worked really well but we came to the conclusion like we wanted to build not just a, a business, but we wanted to build a brand and a name mm. in the space. And if label, you become one of the brands that is white labelable, and you're in one of those boxes at the end of the day, and that, and you're part of that category. Whereas we wanted, like you know, for the last two years pre pre obviously acquisition, one of our big goals was make Content Cal famous, and we could never truly obviously quantify that. But like we knew if we did webinars if we did stuff with influencers if we did these blog posts you know that would all contribute to the concept of make content cal famous and uh you know i'm a big believer in that you've got to build a brand that has some equity not just the business itself what worked well for you for making content cal famous what was the best the best thing was webinars so we would bring in like industry names Mm -hmm. or super like semi-famous marketing influencers who had like real audiences, mm-hmm. like true, true fans. And then we would just interview them and they'd be really fun. You know, we wouldn't make them serious, but we'd bring in loads of insights from these individuals who had like amazing experience. Like Anne Handley, if you've mm-hmm. heard of her, she's based out in the States and uh, she's a legend and she did a great like webinar with us. Steve Bartlett from Social Chain. Um, God, we had tons of people, but like, people were delighted to come and listen to these like very, very knowledgeable people. And sometimes we pay for them and sometimes we do them in partnership and stuff like that. But it really helped associate us as like the cool place to come and hang out, to hear an interesting interview in the content social yeah. media marketing space and also learn a bit about our product as well. 
I get that. And then I guess part of it sometimes is that they're promoting it to their list. Is that right? And you're promoting it to your list and then you both make each other famous through that process. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Noel earlier. I looked him up. He was, uh, he was, what is it? ASTP, your agency. And then at Content Cal, he's listed as a co-founder. How did you decide to make him a co-founder? What was your relationship with him? Oh, Noel's a great friend of mine. Like Noel came in. So when I started ASTP, the agency, I was 24. So I was young, man. I was fresh out of like a couple of couple of jobs, like I said. And I'd learned some of the ropes to run a business, but he more slightly slightly older than I am, way more experienced. Like I said, very solid, solid commercially. And he was actually a client, funnily enough, like a very early client of me building this agency and just was really fascinated. We'd worked together before at Odeon. So again, we had this very close relationship. And he was like, I wanna come on this journey. I'm really interested in kind of being part of a business. He'd worked with corporates before, but really wanted to like dive into like startup land. So we just got in the trenches in the early days. So he, you know, he was absolutely part of the co-founding team. And then two, two other people along the journey who just have been so critical. So Andy, who I've referenced, came in a couple of years later when we were starting to make the pivot towards Content Cal. But he joined again through like an introduction from an investor and really was like our founding commercial leader, really. And, um, and then one additional guy called Lawrence Smith, who is a phenomenal UX, UI designer, but just one of those amazing thinkers like in product as well and just challenges everything, which drives people crazy sometimes, but it's like the right thing to do to get like amazing results when it comes to like building great product. Uh, and Lawrence joined us again in the kind of pivot to content cal phase. Um, and was actually like working with me in the agency stages as well. So the journey's a mismatch. It's not like five of us sat down in a room and kind of decided to go build this business and product. Like it was very organic in terms of how I met people and brought people into the journey. <clears throat> so then why you, why did you do so well? I'm thinking about all the people who I've interviewed. I'm now looking at Laura Roder's website. She had, what was it, Meet Edgar. And there's so many others. I saw a smile of recognition come on your face, right? You know these people. I can go through the list, Social B and others. Mm -hmm. Why do you think Content Cal did so well when there's so many other people? Why would you do better than others in the space? Yeah, I think I think there's multiple things. I think, well, in fact, not even think, I know. Um, we were the first to pioneer, if you like, the calendar interface. Hence the name Content Cal. It's literally short for Content Calendar. And the craziest thing, and whether it was copying, whether it was just the trend, it doesn't really matter. But like, if you look at the history of like any product in the space, it could be Hootsuite, could be Buffer, Planoly, Meet mm-hmm. Egg, you say, I could name them all kind of thing. Over time, none of them at the start had calendars, whereas we were very focused on the calendar experience and the process of um, planning and building content, not the process of scheduling content. Scheduling content for us was like the byproduct of the automation. You know, you can get get a Facebook post to be automated. It's actually the creative work that needs to happen up front and then needs to be planned within a calendar is the really tricky part. We focused on that. We did, we built, in my opinion, mm. still have the best calendar experience and the collaboration experience on building content plans or building content in the market. We scaled to a good stage and then obviously had amazing dialogues with Adobe that led us down the road to being acquired by them. But like, we really focused on a very, very, very good user experience in that calendar piece and in competitors again through chance through copying through research combination of all of the above everybody started to add a calendar to their user interface and i think there's a big difference between adding something on as a feature because you've seen it in the market or you've you know your users are asking for etc 
and therefore building that functionality for that reason versus we started to build the best calendar experience for social media and content in the game and we were obsessed about it you know this this whole calendaring experience so like I think personally, if you go down into the roots of it, there's a million of other things, great people, good brand, you know, right place, right time and a load of other stuff. But like we were relentless about the, the quality of the product in that, that experience. And I think that's a big part of why we stood out. I did see people talk about how there's the ability to chat and communicate around each piece of content, that that was kind, that that was important. That was a big reason, the collaboration part. All right. When you're talking about all the features that go into making a calendar be so, so good that people ignore your competitors at times, how did you know what made it that good? What was your process? Was it bringing people into your office and watching them? Was it interviewing clients about problems? A combination. I think the first thing was myself. I mean, I'd only ever worked in social media. I'd worked in businesses, like I said, that were huge where we had, I mean, Sky had hundreds of people doing social media. And in some instances, you know, 10 plus people approving a tweet, which is complicated, as you can imagine, different time zones, different reasons why, etc. Um, through to like working with businesses that had no approval and just wanted to create a calendar and automate it. So I had like a huge amount of context on the different angles and different challenges these businesses faced. So that got us so far, you know, my, my knowledge ultimately got us from, from zero to one, if you like, and I could pretty much, and still in some ways now, I just think it's so ingrained in my mind, like almost always solve a mini challenge around, should we do this feature? Should we make it look like this? I can almost always, just from that social media manager experience I've had, answer the question and come up with a good experience. But over time, you then need to do exactly what you've said. You've got to speak to users. You've got to do it pretty much every day. And you've got to get like a broad church of feedback from different people in different settings, in different countries, with different languages, etc. So, yeah, how did you do that? Uh, live chat, my friend. Like intercom was Live chat? Way. You mean you would man the live chat and see what problem you would? I, I, I looked at intercom every day like and I still kind of do <laughs> I, I and in the first instances absolutely I was on it all of our team would use intercom this was another thing we did actually which I yeah. you know you look back on take for granted everybody did customer service there was no team at the start literally product design commercial you know me everybody finance did customer service and so everyone knew the ins and outs of customers and their challenges and I think again because that became so ingrained, we all had this intuitive like knowledge about the customer problem and how to solve it. And then over time, okay. we systemized that. You know, then there were teams and there were feedback meetings, and we did user interviews and all the stuff product teams do. But like, it was really part of our culture to speak to users every day, basically in the early days. Your phone might just go off in the middle of dinner if you and I were sitting down. Your phone did it just go off now? No, I thought it did when you said that. Yeah, I was okay. like, okay. <laughs> But it might go off in the middle of dinner with someone on your site asking a question and you'd look at it oh, yeah. and if it was, oh, I see your eyes light up, then you might respond to it right there at the dinner or Dude. at least keep an eye on the fact that it's there. Dude, every night I would look at Intercom and I would go through the feedback we were getting or the comments and questions. And often, I because by the time we had like a customer service team, I wouldn't respond because it would annoy people, but there would always be like one or two where I just couldn't resist where it's like, hey, blah, blah, blah person, I'll help you with this. Yeah. Or I would tag the customer service rep and be like, hey, we need to solve this. This is a really big potential client or whatever. Wow. I, yeah, it was like, I don't, you know, it's fun at the end of the day. Like you can raise VC money and you can run KPI meetings and stuff, but like 
speaking to customers is just something fun about it. Yeah, you get a real feel for like what's actually going on. <clears throat> I get that. All right, I should say, second company, Send in Blue, second sponsor. If you're sending out email marketing, I want you to do it right. Send in Blue has the features beyond just email, but also segmentation, so you can respond to people based on what they've done and what they're expecting from you. Um, and they also have landing pages, the works. Alex, I'm just going to say this to the audience. Great price, doesn't jack up on you, and starts off even lower. If you use my URL, go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. How did the sale come about? So we had had, we'd had other approaches actually funny enough over the years. And that's when you start to build like the kind of, well, not playbook, but like the playbook in your head as to how you might approach these things. We'd had some that went somewhere, but didn't happen for whatever reason. We had some, we were like, no, it's just, you know, not the right time, etc. And um, so Adobe uh, came to us. So I can definitely say that like we, you know, and it was a very generic type of conversation. It wasn't focused around M&A. Um, it was just, you know, there's potentially opportunities to partner and stuff like that. And the conversations initially were very fluid, you know, very and very informal. Um, and, you know, we just very early on, um, like started just to, to hit it off the kind of personal basis with the guys I was speaking to, but also just really align quite quickly on the challenges that obviously Adobe are trying to solve, of which I'm a massive part of obviously now, but like, the big creative challenges that they're trying to crack and the, the kind of content cow ones we were trying to obviously do. And they're just, just naturally through the conversation was a huge amount of synergy. Um, and then obviously throughout the process, all of those things get more formalized in terms of catch-ups and figuring out who the right people to speak to are. And then you suddenly realize as you're going through some of these meetings that this is getting quite serious. <laughs> it's not just informal chats. Um, but it was a phenomenal process, you know, like I said, I can't get to all the details for obvious reasons, but like, it's intense, like once you go through like past the stage of like, you know where you stand and you're gonna theoretically do this deal, um, you know, that naturally and not just in our deal, but in every deal of M&A, like there's crazy due diligence processes and quite rightly, because you know, all of these things are complicated and you can show as much as you can in the first instance, but really getting under the hood is so important. So like the DD process was very, very thorough. Um, and if I'm honest, I think, and having, made great relationships and working with lovely colleagues at Adobe now, I think a lot of it does come to like personal um, synergy as well. Like, do you, do you get on with each other? Do you like each other? Do you get that initial trust? Is there communication that's really open from day one? And that's always my policy anyway. So yeah, the, the dynamics of like doing an M&A deal are crazy um, and hugely challenging, but exciting and like and thrilling and just an amazing experience to be part of. But yeah, like, they came to us and then it was a lot of matching of minds basically to kind of get to actually, you know, doing a deal basically. What are your big takeaways, Alex? Like now, if you were to give yourself advice starting out this business. Well, I'll tell you a funny story. About six years ago, when I first pitched a angel investor for like Content Cal, you know, just to go out and raise capital in the very first like few, like few years, few stages, I'd had a slide which said potential exit opportunities and there were agency groups like WPP maybe because they might buy tech. There were like the big startups like MailChimp and even I think Intercom was on there, but you know, the big startups where there might be some like horizontal uh, synergies. And then you had like the traditional but very big and successful players like an Adobe or like a Salesforce or something like that. Um, and, you know, even in my head, I was thinking, uh, this was literally six years ago and this is no 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 word of a lie like 
an Adobe business, like type business would be, and Adobe in particular would be just phenomenal because they are a huge company. They are very focused on creativity and you know, what, what a match basically in terms of like creating graphics and imagery and video and then being able to put them onto social media, which is now obviously the biggest destination ever for like consuming media. And um, honestly, like a big part of it was how is this happening? This is so good to be true. Like this is, you know, there where I'm actually having a dialogue with Adobe, <laughs> which was just, just completely like bizarre, but also just amazing. in the fact that that actually transpired. So Adobe as a business, and like I said, the synergies were a huge part of it. Um, and then really it was about our mission. So our, our internal mission was to become the number one social media product for SMEs across the world. That was our internal like messaging to our team. Like that's what we're going out to build. Like I said, we're not enterprise. We want millions of customers and millions of people to benefit from using Content Cal to create plans, schedule, etc., all of their social content. And when we started having the conversations, you know, you can go out and raise more money to try and achieve your goal, or you can say, "Hello, I'm speaking to the biggest player in the space, who can automatically, obviously, through integrations and other stuff." like actually fulfill that mission and that dream, like what you're trying to achieve with your product and business. And it just made sense. Like as soon as you start putting those two things together, then you're meeting people, you know, all of the pieces of the puzzle start to come together. You're like, this is really the perfect scenario to do this. Um, And like I said, it wasn't planned. So it really had to like, you know, sound silly, but like literally had to feel right as well as all like the legal dynamics and everything else to work. So, yeah, loads of different reasons. And I, I have to say, having been in Adobe for six months, it's a phenomenal place. Like they've just got such incredible people there. Their ability to operate at the pace that they do, given the size and stuff is amazing. And they're loved by their customers. It's phenomenal, you know? So it's been a cool experience. What are you going to do next? I know you're going to stay with Adobe for a bit, but do you have any thoughts about where your life's going to take you? I, I think I've realized that that's where I get a huge amount of excitement and buzz and just love working with entrepreneurs. And that seems like the right place to, you know, be doing that every day. But nothing, don't know is the actual honest answer. Like, I haven't definitely decided, but I feel like that's the direction of travel. And I'll thank the two sponsors. When you're hiring developers, go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. And when you're looking to do email marketing, SMS marketing, landing pages of works, go to sendinblue.com slash Mixergy. Both, both URLs will get you great deals. Thanks so much for being on here. Bye, everyone. 